0: I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact, their inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Lee Zlotoff. Lee is an award-winning writer, producer, and director of film and television with over a 100 primetime credits to his name. Among his more notable creations is the iconic MacGyver TV series that has continued to run around the world for over 30 years since its debut in 1985, and now is returning in a new MacGyver series on CBS and an upcoming feature film from Lionsgate Studios. Lee is also the recipient of the coveted Audience Award from the Sundance Film Festival for his film The Spitfire Grill, which has gone on to become a highly successful musical. Lee is a graduate of St. John's College with campuses in Annapolis, Maryland and Santa Fe, New Mexico where he served on the board of directors for over a decade and is now a member of the President's Council. Committed to supporting those who strive to improve global futures and outcomes, Lee is also the founder and director of the MacGyver Foundation, which receives a portion of the proceeds from every MacGyver project. So welcome to the podcast, Lee. I'm delighted you're here.
1: Great. It's uh, great to be here, Ursula. So thanks.
0: So how did your, how did you come to this point in your career? You've, you've had a successful career in film and television. You've started a foundation. How did that evolve for you?
1: Well, so uh, two things kind of happened with MacGyver, both of which were uh, highly unanticipated. The first is it sort of turned into a global phenomenon, um, which usually doesn't happen with most television shows. I mean, there have been lots of successful tv shows and and uh, but rarely do they do they sort of turn into kind of so iconic a uh, character and expression that they become a verb so macgyver is now a verb <laughs> right. and uh, and uh, and as you said, the show has basically never been off the air in the 30-plus years since it debuted. So that was kind of one extraordinary thing. And then the second extraordinary thing that happened was that somehow the studio just kind of dropped the ball and, and basically all the rights to the character ended up in my lap as opposed to in theirs. That's extremely unusual in Hollywood. And... Um, and so, consequently, you know, having four grown children now and four grandchildren, I kind of looked at this century and realized this is really a critical century. That is, if we get this century right, civilization as we know it has a future. And if we don't get this century right, that's kind of a question mark. Um, and realizing what I think had made MacGyver so universally popular, namely, he didn't use a gun. And he used his ingenuity and the power of his mind to solve problems and somehow managed to do all that with a sense of humor and humility that those were, in fact, great management tools uh, for this century, whether you're an individual, a community, a country or a globe. Um, and so I decided to start sort of bringing MacGyver back on a number of platforms, um, TV series, movies. We did a comic book and a graphic novel. We have other MacGyver projects coming down the turnpike. And as part of that, I also had developed this unique creative process, which is now called the MacGyver secret or how to connect with your inner MacGyver to solve anything. And so that's kind of really how it evolved. And obviously the MacGyver Foundation was sort of part and parcel of that, which was this character who has literally been seen, if not, you know, affected billions of people, was kind of a great model for how we might start to look at the kinds of problems we face either as communities or countries or or as a whole civilization, namely avoid conflict, because conflict usually just leads to more conflict. Um, figure out a way to turn what you have into what you need, because on a global basis, we're certainly going to have to do that. And uh, try to maintain a sense of humor and humility, because it turns out those are much better mindsets for solving problems than, you know, screaming at somebody in the face and hoping that they're going to then do what you tell them to do.
0: Well, it sounds like what you're doing has become so integrated that you're coming at things both from an entertainment perspective, but also you want to be able to provide the kind of modeling that can help solve real problems in the world.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, obviously, most of the MacGyver things are going to be entertainment based, because I think that's a great way to communicate, sometimes really important information. Um, And really, the only, you know, divergence from that is this MacGyver Secret. This is a methodology I developed for my own creative writing purposes literally decades ago. And oh about four years ago a friend of mine used it to launch an internet company and basically said, listen, this can be used for a lot more than creative writing. You have to sort of put this put this method out there and and um, and share it with the world. And so that's what I'm doing. Um, because Really, the MacGyver's secret, quote-unquote, which you're not supposed to tell anybody, <laughs> is, is simply this, namely that inside of everyone, there is, in fact, a MacGyver who is incredibly capable of helping you solve problems, um, and most of us just don't have a technique or a facility to tap into that ability, So we call it your inner MacGyver, but you could call it your subconscious or your preconscious or your unconscious. But it's that part of your mind which is massive, and yet we are generally not aware of most of the time because our conscious mind is pretty much in control three-quarters of our day because we're awake. And when we're awake, the conscious mind is churning with thoughts but it turns out that's not really the best part of your mind to solve problems. And the inner MacGyver or subconscious is really infinitely better. And there are really just a few very simple steps in order to tap into that inner MacGyver to solve virtually any kind of problem you have, whether it's technical or creative, professional or even personal.
0: Do you want to talk about one or two of those steps just to illustrate the, how, how valuable that, that process is, that method is?
1: Absolutely. So the three basic steps are one. The first thing you want to do if you have a problem is you want to write it down. And believe it or not, it works better if you write it down in longhand rather than typing it. Now you would think, what's the difference between writing in longhand or typing on a phone? I mean, on a phone or a computer or a tablet. But the fact is, there actually is difference. And the co-author uh, of my book, um, Colleen Seifert, who's a PhD in psychology. So that's one of the things the book will offer is is all the science behind this, is that there is science to show that when you write things down longhand, they actually sort of go deeper into your neural pathways than if you simply type them. So step one is write down your problem in as much detail as you want. That can be two lines, that can be a paragraph, that can be a whole page. It doesn't matter. You're not going to overwhelm your inner MacGyver with too much information. So the first step is you need to write it down. And then what you want to do is say to your inner MacGyver or subconscious or whatever you choose to call it, you're going to say, okay, I've written this problem down and now you're going to work on it and I'm going to get out of the way and let you solve the problem for me and i'm going to come back in a certain amount of time and you're going to have an answer for me. So you're basically instructing your deeper self or your inner macgyver to work on the problem. And then step 2 is you're going to go on you want to go on, excuse me. Step 2 is you're going to want to go and do something else so that your conscious mind is not thinking about the problem. We call this an incubation activity. In my case, I built models, you know, like build the Empire State Building out of paper. I built every model out of paper that they had. I built the Vatican, I <laughs> built the Taj Mahal, I built the Brooklyn Bridge. Why anyone would need a paper model of the Brooklyn Bridge, I don't know, but <laughs> you have I one. didn't build the models because I needed the models. I built the models because it kept my conscious mind focused on something other than the problem I had just given to my inner MacGyver. And there are literally thousands of activities you can do. You can go for a walk. You can go for a run. Any form of exercise is fine. You can cook. You can garden. You can knit. um, You know, you can practice a musical instrument. There are no shortage of things you can do. And if you can't find something you enjoy doing, then you can clean the house, you can wash the dishes, you can wash your car, you know, it really doesn't matter. You just need to find some activity that has some physical component to it, even if that's just filling in blanks in a crossword puzzle or a Sudoku, or it turns out research has shown that word search puzzles, you know, where you get a grid of letters and you have to kind of circle the words inside that grid of letters, those are great, apparently, Any of those will work so long as you keep your conscious mind preoccupied with something so that it can't get in the way of what you're trying to do with the problem. And there are really only four really poor activities, incubation activities, that won't work. And one is watching television. So unfortunately, you can't watch television as an incubation activity or videos or YouTube or any of that stuff. And you can't read reading will not work as an incubation activity. You also don't want to engage in a lot of conversation, whether it's person to person or email or text. And the fourth thing you don't want to do is you don't want to do a highly interactive video game. So Candy Crush is fine. Tetris is fine. Pokemon Go is fine. But World of Warcraft or Second Life or anything like that, um, Call of Duty, those big first person shooter games, you don't want to engage in those. They won't work as incubation activities. So you do this incubation activity for say an hour or four hours or however you choose long, you choose to do it. When when people are starting out, I usually recommend an, an hour or more. And then after you do that activity, you come back to your question that you've written down and you look at it and you say to your inner MacGyver, "Okay, I wrote the question down. I went and didn't think about it. Here I am. What do you have for me? And then all you do is you simply start writing. And it doesn't matter what you write. You can write the Star Spangled Banner. You can write what you want to have for lunch. You can write why you love your boss or you hate your boss. As soon as you start writing, within 30 seconds, maybe 45 seconds, those answers will start flowing out of you through the tip of your pen. And you simply just keep writing until you get the answers that you've been looking for. So in effect, what you're doing is you're now establishing what I call an active dialogue with that subconscious or inner MacGyver that's inside of you, as opposed to a passive dialogue that's going on all the time that you're just not aware of. And it will happily give you answers to anything. And at least from the research we've done, the workshops, the presentations, more often than not, I would say 65 to 75% of the time, people get back answers that surprise them. Mm -hmm. They say things like, I never would have thought of that. You go, well, you did just think of that. But what they're really saying is my conscious mind would never have come to that as a solution, which is the whole point. You're using the vast resources of your inner MacGyver or subconscious mind, and it has access to answers that are much better than the answers your conscious mind can come up with. So those are really the three steps. Write it down. Write your question or problem down. Tell your inner MacGyver to work on it. Go do something else to preoccupy your conscious mind. Come back, ask for an answer, and then simply start writing. And those answers will will appear.
0: Well, I love the way you've combined so much wisdom about how to really be able to tap into that wisdom that you have within yourself, um, and and using the MacGyver figure as uh, as a really great model for that is uh, it's just a super way to to really tap into some unique solutions because i i think all of us are inherently creative and it's it's about tapping into that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, for those who, you know, who who saw the MacGyver TV series or are watching it now, you know, his genius was that he could sort of look at whatever happened to be around him and find a way to combine those elements in some unique way to, you know, beat the bad guys or overcome an obstacle or escape from wherever he was trapped. And so it was when I was actually writing the MacGyver pilot that sort of the elements of this process really came together. And so I decided to call it the MacGyver secret. Uh, think of it as the Swiss Army knife of your
0: mind. You know? <laughs> that's great. You need,
1: that, you need that blade or that tool or that little thing that's been in your pocket the whole time, but you didn't really know was going to be of value. And suddenly now there it is. You have the capability to solve a problem in a way that you never thought was possible before.
0: Well, you've taken a really unique turn here in terms of, uh, I mean, Hollywood has the reputation of people being quite inner focused um, to the kind of exclusion of other people, but you're taking it uh, to another realm. You're really taking that inner connection and, and seeing what Benefit it can have in the larger world is there? What are the ways that you think that this, the MacGyver secret and the the process you're teaching will have on what kind of impact will it have on your on the people that you work with on on your industry and even in the larger world? Well,
1: let me start by explaining a little bit of how I came up with this. So when I was starting out in in uh, writing for television in Hollywood. Um, There were only three writers on staff, and that meant we were responsible for every third or if not every other episode. And the, the need to come up with an enormous amount of creative material under very tight time deadlines was omnipresent. You know, there was just no escaping it. I mean, you had to have that script ready in X amount of time because they couldn't shut down the production machine unless it was absolutely necessary. And I noticed that the best stuff came to me when I was either driving or taking a shower, not when I was sitting in front of my computer racking my brain for a story. And so I asked myself, why is it that the best stuff comes to me when I'm driving, taking a shower and not when I'm, quote unquote, trying to work? And the answer was because when I was driving or taking a shower, my conscious mind was preoccupied. I had to pay attention to what I was doing. I mean, even though driving and showering is sort of second nature, you know, when you're driving, you kind of got to know where you're going and if there's a car in front of you or behind you, how fast, what's the route, all that kind of stuff. It's a moment-to-moment activity, even though it's kind of second nature. Consequently, that conscious mind of mine was preoccupied and couldn't get in the way. And so the problems I was struggling with creatively, that information could just sort of float up from my inner MacGyver or my subconscious. And that's when I realized that, well, wait a minute, instead of struggling to come up with ideas, why don't I just find a way to recreate that experience for myself and see what happens? And that's why I ended up building models. So I put a whiteboard in my office and a workbench because driving and showering got a little complicated when I was trying to work. Right. Um, and so what I would do is I would go to the board and I'd say, I need a new idea for an episode. And I'd simply write on the board. What is an new idea for an episode? And then rather than stand there and rack my brain, I would say to my inner MacGyver, you're the one with all the good ideas. You work on it. I'm going to go work on that silly model. And when I come back, you're going to have an answer for me. And so I would go work on the model for half hour, 45 minutes, an hour. I mean, you know, cut, paste, glue, slide tab A into tab B. I mean, you know, kind of almost mindless work. But then when I would come back and say, what do you have for me? I'd simply start writing and great ideas would just flow out of me. And I realized this was the secret to coming up with great creative material, regardless of the deadlines or the time pressure. So I began to do this. Consequently, it allowed me to move up through the ranks of Hollywood very quickly because I could write great scripts in a very short time period and and they worked. And not only that, but it eliminated all the stress involved in that process because I never had to come up with the ideas. I would just let my inner MacGyver do the work. Um, And now I realize that you can apply this if you're writing code for a computer, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a designer. It, It really doesn't matter what you use it for because the process is more or less the same for everybody. So consequently, you know, I really attribute much of my success in Hollywood to being able to tap into that whenever I needed it, whenever I wanted it. And the material just got better and better. And consequently, I became more and more successful. And so it seemed like, all right, here's a good time to share this with people and offer this as a way to solve any kind of problem, regardless of what your occupation is. And since, let's face it, we're all going to have these pretty substantial problems to solve as a civilization. If we're going to move forward, I thought, well, listen, if a hundred people did this or a thousand people did this or a million people did this, we might have a better shot of really dealing with all the issues that we face as a global community.
0: Well, um, yeah, I, I, I understand that you've started a foundation, and can you talk a little bit about that as an extension of the the work that you've that you just spoke about?
1: Absolutely. So, the MacGyver Foundation supports organizations and individuals that really kind of embody what we call those MacGyver core values: avoid conflict, or you know, we support. Organizations and individuals that do, you know, nonviolent conflict resolution. Um, Obviously, ingenuity, resourcefulness, sustainability, all that kind of stuff. And it's important to us that people understand that maintaining a sense of humor and humility is actually critical to solving problems because a laughing and open mindset is much more likely to come up with an innovative solution than someone who is fearful, angry, or resentful, because then the emotion is really getting in the way of what the best idea to solve a problem might be. So we've done a number of programs. We've done some programs with the Pete Conrad Foundation. Pete Conrad was one of the astronauts who went to the moon. Um, We most recently did a project called the Next MacGyver Script Competition, which was Um, a global crowdsourced script competition to come up with a female engineer type hero like MacGyver, not called MacGyver, um, so that we could start modeling that character for young women and girls to encourage them to go into the sciences and engineering, because that's half the world's population. And right now, Young women are generally discouraged from becoming, you know, computer coders or scientists or engineers. And we need all that brain power if we're going to solve the problems of the world. So, this was an attempt to use media to see if we could encourage young women to think about careers in the engineering and sciences. For instance, before CSI came out, there were maybe a few forensic science schools in the country. I mean, maybe there were a few thousand people a year. After CSI came out, there are now literally over 100 forensic science schools in the country and tens of thousands of people going to them. Why? Because they watch CSI and here are these beautiful young people who are solving crimes by, you know, looking at all the forensic information and science. So that modeling can be very important and very effective. And so part of what we're doing with this is we had a competition. We got over 2,000 submissions from all around the globe. We whittled that down to 12. They flew We flew them all to Hollywood. We had a bunch of top producers who would serve as mentors, and there were five winners. And right now, the scripts that have come out of those five winners are on their way to the networks to see if we can't get one of these shows off the ground. So that's the sort of thing the MacGyver uh, Foundation does. We look for opportunities to use that sort of – those MacGyver core values to see if we can come up with innovative ways to promote change in the world.
0: That's great. I uh, is, is this something that has kind of evolved within you is, is making a positive contribution, something that has come to you recently or in more in, in recent years, or is it something that you've always kind of had in your, in yourself from very young?
1: Well, you know, I think part of it is is when I created things, be it MacGyver or the Spitfire Grill or any of the other shows I worked on, I tended to stay away from, you know, extremely violent uh, or, um, you know, aggressive or let's just say horror things. I mean, I, I appreciate that there's a market for that and that people enjoy that stuff, but it, it didn't really speak to me. And... The things I created tended to be more about, you know, individuals or or a sense of community. And so I think as MacGyver sort of took off and developed that and, you know, you start having kids, you start thinking about things outside of yourself, okay? And of course, then my kids had kids. And now I look at my grandchildren and think, well, it's not going to be that long before they're going to have kids. And so... It's hard for me, anyway. It was it was hard to sort of become so focused on myself that I couldn't sort of see the bigger picture. And frankly, using the MacGyver secret, you kind of get clear in a way because you get outside that bubble of fear and anxiety and nonsense that kind of surrounds so many of us, and you're able to see things a lot more clearly. Because you know, if I'm in a if I am confronted with a difficult situation, I have a way to get a really Good answer to that situation by using the MacGyver secret. And so becoming clear, you go, you know, my life works better, and I feel better if I'm making a difference in the world. There's nothing wrong with doing well. I've done very well. But there's more to be said for doing well and doing good at the same time. So doing good became an important aspect of my life, again, just because the clarity I was now seeing and because when you have children and they have children, you start to see a bigger picture. I'm not going to live forever, but between now and when that day comes, what is it that I can do to effect a positive change in the world? And bringing MacGyver back and, and, you know, sharing the MacGyver secret seemed to be at least one of the ways that I could attempt to do that.
0: Well, and you're sharing a really great example of how doing well and doing good are not mutually exclusive and that you're really integrating the two and, and they're working well together is, are the, the, in this work that you're doing, it, it's, you've touched on this a little bit in what you've talked about, but, um, how have your values informed what you're doing now? I, I've asked everyone this question because I think values, the things that you hold as important are part of what goes into what you do and the choices you make, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And every business is informed by the, the entrepreneur's values. And so I think it's a really worthwhile exploration to really get clear on what values do you have? how have you brought them into your business? So could you talk about that for you, what that has meant for you?
1: Absolutely. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's part of a larger conversation. I mean, you look at the Bill Gateses of the world and the Warren Buffetts of the world. I mean, it, it seems like starting out in business, the goal is to how can I amass as much money as possible and become wildly successful? And let's say you do that. Let's say you're worth tens of billions of dollars, and then you stop and you go, well, I can only buy so many pairs of pants, and I can only own so many cars, and I can only live in so many houses. So what am I going to do with all this money now that I've been wildly successful? And they start to realize, I have to do something with this money. I have a responsibility with this money to see if there's some way I can now take those resources and change the world for the better. And I don't, I mean, I am by no means in the Warren Buffett or the Bill (laughs) Gates (laughs) class of success. Um, But the, the, the same truth holds, which is listen, you know, once you have a place to live and food in your refrigerator, you know, and the freedom to travel and all that other stuff, then you think, okay, what am I spending my time doing? Beyond that, how do I make the most and celebrate and show my gratitude for the success that I've had? And the answer seems to me fairly obvious, which is you find a way to see if you can affect positive change for other people in the world. Let's face it, the vast majority of people in the world do not enjoy all the things that you and I enjoy, certainly not the things that Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and all those other people enjoy. So do I have a responsibility to them? And I think the answer is we all have a responsibility to each other. You know, we like to think that it's all about us, but at the end of the day, the reality is we are all in this together. Ursula, there is no longer any country in the world that can say, we have all the resources we will ever need. We can roll up our borders. The rest of the world can go to hell and we'll be just fine. There is no such place in the world anymore. With climate change... Everything is changing and we all need each other. So if we all need each other, we should start figuring out ways to make that happen and to, you know, share what we have, find what we need if we don't have it and cooperate with each other. Because if we fight with each other, we may end up killing a lot of people, but it doesn't stop the fact that the house is on fire. You know, we have one planet. And we can either destroy this planet in the name of our self-interest or our greed or our fear, or we can transform this planet into, you know, the paradise it is. Because as far as we know, this is the only place we've got. It's nice to think about going to Mars and it's nice to think about going to the moon, but those places are a lot more hostile than the earth we live (laughs) on. So why aren't we finding a way to make this work for all of us? Because... We clearly have the technology to do that. What we need is the sense of values, as you mentioned, to say that that's important, that rather than dominating each other or attacking each other or killing each other, we should be finding ways to work with each other for the benefit of everybody, because there's more than enough to go around if we do it wisely.
0: Well, I agree with you, and I, I would I would even say that that um, way in which we're all connected to each other has always been the case, whether or not there's been this illusion of let's kind of worry worry only about ourselves and then everything will be fine. I think it was always the case that we're interconnected, and that 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 larger perspective really serves everyone, um, including the people that happen to have uh, a few more few more resources available to them. So I one of the things that um, I've been asking people about, because it's so easy in this work of having impact, of, of making a positive contribution, to get so engrossed in it and uh, to work a lot, frankly. And is that something that you wrestle with? And if you do, how do you make sure that you manage your self-care and, and make sure you have the energy to keep going?
1: Well, it's very easy when you get involved in causes that are larger than yourself to so sort of completely become consumed by them that you're right, you sort of burn out. And I think as, uh, as you manage yourself as an individual, that's the way we kind of need to manage ourselves as communities or countries. Or a civilization, and that is to find that sense of balance. Okay. There are things that I spend a lot of time doing for others, but I know there are things I need to do to take care of myself, whether that's eating right or exercise or, you know, just making sure that I have enough downtime so that I don't become so depleted in quote-unquote trying to do the right thing that I become either exhausted or resentful uh, or frustrated because you go, well, I can't see that I'm doing any good. I'm, do- I'm working so hard, I'm doing all these things, and-, and-, and I'm not sure I'm having an effect. Well, that's where that sense of balance comes in. Number one, you don't always know what effect you're having. You know, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not working. OK, there are a lot of things that happen in this world that work very effectively, even though we can't really see how they work. So as a technological analogy, we all know that cell phones work. OK, but if you went up to the average person and said, tell me exactly how this thing works, most of them would really not be able to explain that to you. OK, right. Right. but that doesn't mean they don't work. They do work. We use them all day long. OK, Um And the same is true of those kinds of, let's call them, you know, uh, altruistic or community efforts. You put stuff out there, and just because you can't necessarily see the results of it doesn't mean it's not having an impact. doesn't mean that you haven't changed somebody's life or touched somebody's heart, and that instead of going left, they will now go right. And maybe instead of doing the wrong thing, they'll do the right thing. And you may never see that happen. That doesn't mean that what you did didn't have that effect, okay? So part of it is accepting that, I do what I do because I think it's the right thing to do because I'm hopeful that it will affect change. And I also accept that I may not get to see what that change is. And that's okay. All right. Because if all of us just tried to do the right thing, then good things would happen. And necessarily getting credit for it or being able to concretely say, well, I did this and that made that happen and this made that happen. And ergo, people's lives were improved Listen, if that happens, great, but it isn't important. The important thing is that you say, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of those I love. And then I'm going to try and take care of people who who don't mean anything to me in the sense, except that they're part of the global community. And then you just let it go. And you don't worry about how is it, you know, how is this all going to come back to me? One of the things I have discovered is that the more I give, the more I receive. So, you know, it's like I put it out there and great things seem to come to me. Mm -hmm. I think they're connected. Can I draw a line between my giving and my receiving? I cannot draw that line. I just know that it exists, but I can't see it. You know, I do what I think is the right thing to do. And lo and behold, good things come back to me. So Mm -hmm. I think, okay, it must be working. (laughs) This isn't to say that, you know, Things happen to me which I didn't want to have happen to me. Bad things happen to everybody. The question is not wallowing in that. You go, okay, if something bad happens, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to respond? You know? Well, and, so- on, and
0: on that topic, I mean, one of the, I mean, you've had such a successful career. It's easy to kind of look at you and say, well, wow, you know what. What problems could this person have? And, and, but all of us have run into obstacles. We've had our own problems to deal with. And I think it's important to talk about this in the context of ha- making a positive contribution because it, it kind of takes down the curtain from this illusion of seamless success that we all have things that we've struggled with. Could you talk a bit about an example where you've, you've been able to move through a difficult time? And I always think it's helpful to share ideas about okay, how did, how did that person deal with that issue? And, and then we can all work on things more effectively.
1: Absolutely. Listen, to be human is to have problems, okay? <laughs> there is no human alive who doesn't have problems. Yeah. Even if Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, even if you have all the resources at your disposal, it doesn't mean you're not going to have any problems. You know, the only time everything is perfect is when you're dead. And unfortunately, you can't really enjoy much at that point, as far as I could tell. So the notion of trying to make everything perfect is a kind of false goal, okay? Um, And so you accept that, you know, things are going to happen. I have had to struggle with depression, okay? Fortunately, I found a way through that. um, And part of it was letting go of the need to go well but I gotta have this job or I have to make this amount of money or I have to do X Y Z and being able to sort of just let go of that stuff really was crucial to my being able to go okay I don't need to be depressed about where I am right now because sometimes things are going to be going great for me and sometimes they're not you know Hollywood is a very fickle business and sometimes you're the flavor of the month, and sometimes no one returns your phone calls. And you go, but I'm the same person, and (laughs) it doesn't seem to matter. So I just accept, okay, this is going to be a quiet time for me, and if not much is happening in getting things made or making those connections, I just work on new ideas. I write quietly for however long it takes, six months, a year, two years, and then at some point, the wheel just sort of turns and the next thing you know, all those things that I wrote quietly in silence on my own, suddenly everybody wants to make them, you know, and you go, Oh, okay. So there's a kind of almost a sort of a seasonal movement to some of those things. And just because I'm in a hole now, doesn't mean I'm going to be in a hole for the rest of my life. And consequently you just let go of that and worry less about where you need to be and say, what do I need to do today? to make myself feel like I am productive and fulfilled. And I start with that. And if you do that every day, sooner or later, something comes around and it changes. Because as with the MacGyver secret, I think everything you need is already inside you. I don't really think it's out there, quote unquote. You know, we're taught to go out there and get it. Go hunt that animal and bring it back. Mm-hmm. Go get that job and make that money, that it's out there somewhere. And I, I really don't believe that, Ursula. I really think everything you need is already inside you. And if you can find it inside you, then to use a kind of, you know, woo-woo word, it manifests itself in the world at large. And mm-hmm. so my job is to look for those things inside me that I really want or feel I really need. And then allow the world to present them to me rather than somehow thinking I gotta go out there and, you know, fight them and tear them and drag them out of the world kicking and screaming. Because it just has never worked like that for me.
0: Well, and I agree with you. And and what you're talking about is a very gentle approach to yourself and to uh, making that inner connection to tap into that wisdom. So is is there One piece of advice or an insight that you would share with someone who's asking themselves, how can I have more impact? How can I make more of a positive contribution?
1: Yeah, uh, again, I would say, I think um, the question you have to say to yourself or ask yourself is, what is it I want to do in the world? What is that change I want to affect in the world? And then say to yourself, and what's the best way to do that? Is it to try and do it on a grand scale? Is it to try and start really small and see where it goes? You know, um, everyone and anyone can make a difference. And some of the most successful organizations uh, uh, in terms of positive outcomes started with somebody saying, you know, I just noticed that this was going on in my neighborhood. And so I started to do, I just went around and started to pick up things in the neighborhood, pick up trash or start to clean things, you know, so the neighborhood looked a little better. And the next thing you knew, there were three other people who saw me doing it. They said, what are you doing? And said, well, I thought it would be better if we cleaned up the neighborhood. And they start cleaning up the neighborhood. And then before you know it, you've got a hundred people, all of whom are cleaning up the neighborhood. Why? Because one person said, I think it would be a good thing if I just made an effort to sort of make the neighborhood look a little better. And suddenly there's a whole lot of pride in that neighborhood that wasn't there before. And now everybody in that neighborhood starts thinking about caring for their neighbors in a way they didn't before. And so many grassroots organizations have started from really just the simplest spark and have grown into these phenomenal global organizations that really affect change. So don't be afraid to start small. Okay, and ask yourself, what is it that I can do to be effective, even on a really small scale, and then see where it goes?
0: I love that. Don't be afraid to start small, because there's so many big things that have started with the small things. I mean, everything starts with one initial action or or movement in a direction. And you've really, um, I mean, in this conversation today, you've really brought to life this These attributes of the MacGyver character that you've you've put together as the MacGyver secret and you're not only um, sharing that in the context of uh, the work that you're doing uh, in the world of entertainment but also putting that to work for solving community and global problems it's uh, is a pretty huge vision and it's it's so powerful so thank you for sharing all of that with us today Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you?
1: Well, um, I think the first thing they should do, if any of this sounds interesting to them, is go to the website, uh, which is MacGyverSecret.com. There's a bunch of free downloads that they can have to get them started with MacGyver Secret, and then if you find so, there's a a, a quick start guide, which is a you know a book, digital short digital book. Um, that you can get for free Uh, and then there's a series of uh, a mini video course which will basically teach you the MacGyver secret step by step and then if you're so inclined you can buy a book and we will soon also have you know a full online training course for those people who really want to integrate the MacGyver secret into their lives Uh, to get a hold of me uh, my email is simply Lee at MacGyverSecret.com Um and uh yes, I give presentations and I do workshops and all that kind of stuff. Um so if you're interested in that, all of that's on the website too, and you can send us uh you know, contact us and let us know if that's something you're interested in. But uh but really it's about just try it. You know, we'll 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 give it to you basically all for free. So you can try it. And if it works for you and you want to take it further and then buy the book or the online course or whatever, great. But, you know, it just starts by just try it and see if it works. Because in all the workshops that I've done and in all the presentations that I've given, <clears throat> it never fails to work. I mean, people do it and they go, oh, my God, this works. they <laughs> are <laughs> always so surprised. But that's- <clears throat> this isn't the way we're taught to solve problems, you right. know? We, we're we in a school and an educational system that says, no, you have to cram this information into your brain, and then we're going to give you a test, and then we want you to pull back that information at exactly the time, and in exactly the moment, and in exactly the way you need it. And, and that works to a certain extent, and for some people, you know, they're whizzes at school, but the vast majority of people are not whizzes at school. And we're not really giving people the opportunity to learn the best way to solve problems because we're only using one part of our mind, and it turns out to be the smallest and least effective part of our mind. So, I would say go to the website, see if any of that is of interest to you, and if 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 it is, great. Then you've got a journey to start, and a you know, and a way to and a way to start exploring all this, um, and that would be sort of my recommendation but great the bottom line is we all have enormous resources inside of us that for the most part we're not using and this is an opportunity to find those resources inside of you for whatever purpose you need them for whether it's earning money or improving your life or you know self-help or personal growth it it doesn't really matter those resources are there to use for pretty much anything you want to use them for Step one is recognizing and knowing that, in fact, you have those resources. We all have that inner MacGyver we can use whenever we need it. And the rest is just kind of learning how to develop that relationship with it so you can get to it when you need it.
0: Well, thank you for sharing all of that, Lee, and thank you for offering those resources. I think people will be really interested in that. And thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world. It's really powerful. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.